It's another Saturday night in comedy, and tonight we catch up with one of our favorite friends of the show on his award-winning special and his latest album. And a little later on in the show, two Second City alums with their own spins on melding the worlds of drag, variety, and comedy. It is a stacked double panel. I'm Dean Young, and we're about to go Inside the Joke. Check it. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to an all new Inside Jokes, baby, right here as always on 640 Toronto. And of course, streaming all across the known multiverse on Global News Online. We have our producer, Vince Desco, on the line with us, who's sitting in the studio with what looks like a Quebecois lumberjack toque. Vince, I always want to do the. Uh, Except I'm losing my voice. <laughs> that was supposed to be Call of the North. Are you are you a Doug or are you a Bob? I think I'm a Bob. Yeah, I guess I'd be a Doug Mackenzie. You'd be a Doug Mackenzie, a Bob. You know. We're you know. Anyways, for you our listeners the show, and we can, that we are can over the median age of sixty years old. Remember that, uh, Vince. We have a we have a pretty colorful mixed bag panel this week. It's a lot of fun. We have, of course, coming up first in the show. We have our good buddy Dave Merhage, who uh, joined us not too long ago. Last season, he was on with us promoting his most recent stand up special, "I Love You, Habibi," uh, and now he's got an, yet another new album dropping, which we will just call it. Uh, miseducation of an F boy because I can't say the word on the show. <laughs> we don't want to ruffle any feathers, but Dave Mirage, another special, another album coming out. This guy doesn't stop. He's always ping packing, ping ponging back and forth between Toronto and New York, LA. He's everywhere. He's dropping specials. He's headlining festivals. He's dropping albums. Uh, so Dave always has something new going on. We're going to check out what that new album is all about. And then Vince, a little later on in the show, we have not one, but two alums of Second City's famous touring company, uh, one of whom has a brand new Untitled Black Sketch Project, which we'll get into what that's all about, and the other is melding the worlds of drag and comedy in a very interesting new variety show, so we're going to find out just how those worlds sort of mesh together, and why is it that sketch and improv people are always the most adventurous with new formats and mixing mediums? When stand-ups are like, I just do the one thing and that's the only thing that counts. We're going to find out what those two are up to, what these shows are all about. It is a loaded panel, Vince. We're going to kick it off right here, right now on Inside Jokes. Happy April Welcome back to Inside Jokes, boys and girls, right here on 640 Toronto, and of course streaming all over Canada, coast to coast, nationwide, North America wide, planet Earth wide, on the Global News Radio Network, brought to you this week by absolutely no one at all. We are approaching season eight sponsor free, and we are open for biz, and believe you me, this is a Canadian comedy radio show, we are not picky, so come get it. Holla at your boys, Dean and Vince, looking for sponsors. Anyways, we have a stacked double panel after that plug. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, a little later on, we're going to check in with two of the Second City National Touring Company alums on some new variety shows that they're bringing to the stage. But first, our old friend Dave Merhaj. Last time we checked with him was last summer during the return of JFL, the 40th anniversary big sort of welcome back show of JFL. And of course, his Canadian Screen Award nominated special, I Love You Habibi. 
But now he's got a brand new album dropping, which I love this title that I can't fully say on the air, I'm told. Uh, Miseducation of an F-Boy, we'll just call it. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing good, man. How are you guys doing? We're good. I mean, first off, I love that title. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I mean, we usually have you on this show like once a season or so. And last, yeah, last time we were talking to you about the special I Love You, Habibi, which, you know, you were telling us at the time was sort of a much more personal approach for you. There was a lot of it was about background and family and growing up. And it was sort of a lot of personal stuff that necessarily doesn't normally make it into your standup because our listeners who are fans of yours, all of us who have watched you on stage, we know you as sort of this, you've always been this sort of crowd work king. Like, yeah, obviously you're hitting a festival like JFL or you're recording an album. Obviously it's a lot of honed gold. It's like album stuff. It's special taping stuff, but we've also seen you do 40 minutes of going up in a room and going up in a club and just riffing on the audience and just destroying that way. Habibi was sort of a different approach for you because it was a special that was very much about this sort of personal, raw, intimate material that you don't normally do. How much of a different animal now is this? I don't know if it's a follow-up album, but just your latest album, Miseducation. How much of a different animal is that from Habibi? I mean, what I did, I mean, I've always like had, you know, I always, I do like, you know, going on adventures, I guess, with the crowd. It's maybe a good way to put it. but Going I, on adventures, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for the longest time, in, I mean, only probably in the Toronto comedy scene or maybe in Canada, in Canada, not maybe, uh, within the community, I think the perception was like, not that I, it was like, oh, it was more leaning towards crowd work and stuff, which I did myself. Like I, I for a lot of times, I really liked that spontaneity of it and sometimes really might not have focused on developing material. And like I would do material, obviously, when I was booked for clubs and and doing around the city, but I, you know, I would lean a lot towards the crowd work. So this, you know, when it came time to do this, I, I, you know, was putting it together, you know, and I remember I ran it and a very funny friend of mine, Jared Campbell was like, it's like, he's like, this is the first time I've seen you do like where you're taking your time and putting a, a set together. Right. Which I don't know, which is also like, I don't know if that's not a, like not a diss, but it's, I was like, oh yeah, maybe I don't, Material together. Well, I think it, I, I know what he means, though, because those of us that yeah. know your material, I mean, again, obviously, I mean, you've been doing this for two decades now, and I mean, yeah. you, you know, you have specials, you used to have albums, that's obviously not off-the-cuff stuff, that's obviously honed stuff that you're working around and polishing like any comic, but yeah, the your stand-up has always had that element of, like, anything can happen, and it feels very freestyle, even, even when it's not, so I get what he, but I mean, did that happen early on for you? I mean, when you were coming up in the clubs in Toronto, and you were starting out at open mics, Going after the crowd like that, I don't know, a lot of comics don't really have that comfort level. Crowd work is sort of its own its own sort of distinct skill yeah. set. It's you know, not everybody has that. But that did that happen early on? Was that a function of like I gotta get this crowd in the palm of my hand and sort of tame the beast right from the get-go? Not everybody can no. do that. I mean, I remember starting out in Windsor when I was doing yuck yucks like amp. I remember an American comic was like, Man, I never seen anyone, you know, like I see people like do their um like do riffing and then fall back on their material i've never seen he goes i don't you don't really he goes you're doing it the opposite <laughs> like i would do the op like i felt more comfortable just making i mean because i was at the you know i, I made was more comfortable i guess making talking with the crowd and then i think over time i developed that muscle it wasn't like overnight it was like I, I really would go places and practice. I would like take a topic and try to do it for seven minutes. And, you know, most of the times it was bombing and it would get one nugget. So it was like really like 
really, really getting on stage and practicing it out. And I think, you know, when I look back, the Netflix half hour was material I put together. Um, the good friend Brad Grammer was material I put. I mean, that was a lot more looser than the Netflix one, but I get it because a lot of the times, I, you know, I've developed, I guess, this thing where, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. So with I Love You Habibi and and using like, you know, my family in interviews, I wanted yeah. to put something where it was like a body of work. And then with this one, I had these, you know, these jokes for from some time now about like, like, I guess, like relationships that might not have worked out and, you know, for whatever reasons, mostly probably me. And that's where the title came. The title originally was called I Love Her. Yeah. Um, and I was listening. I think I came across Lauren Hill's Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And yeah. I, you know, with the image, which was captured by a buddy of mine, Don Cook, he was coming to see me at the corner and he was across the street on Queen Street. And I was sitting, at, you know, with the Tim Horns cup. And this is around COVID with a mask on. And he took a picture of me on that bench and then he met text me and I was like where are you he's like he was like across the street so then we used that image and my friend Ray who does most of my artwork put it together so it all kind of came together I was like let me call it miseducation of you know the word can't say and then um so I had these you know we shot it at the corner with uh Macau Studios they did they their it was their vision to do it in black and white which I thought was super cool mm -hmm. um and then you know, I had the, the, and I wanted to do an EP, which is like, you know, only 30 minutes, I guess. And uh, as I think a, a month or two, maybe before releasing it, I had the idea of like, I was listening to a rap song that had this voicemail from a girl that was talk, trying to, you know, saying she loved this rapper. So I was yeah. like, I need a friend of mine, Mara. Um, I asked her if she can record her voice. And then I was like, let me have an intro. And then, yeah, everything else came together, the audio, the music, you know, that came a month before. So that was another concept type I wanted to put together. There we go. Brand new album out now. We're going to come back with more Dave Merhaj right here, right now on Inside Jokes. I'm Mark Breslin, and I'm sorry to say you're listening to Inside Jokes. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black look. Back to Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto. And as always, streaming all across the entire known universe. On Global News Online, we are checking in with our old friend of the show, Dave Merhaj. Brand new album, Miseducation of, I'll just say, F-Boy, because I can't say the actual title on here, otherwise people gets angry. But I love that title, by the way, Dave. And yeah, before the break, you were telling us about how, you know, because last year when we talked to you, you had that special that you dropped, I Love You, Habibi, which was very personal. You involved your family. It was all about sort of background and growing up. This album, too, there's sort of, uh, I don't want to say maturity to it but do you feel like you definitely seem to be doing sort of more personal stuff on these last few projects because again we were talking before how you were always sort of known as this very again even when it wasn't your stand-up always had this element of like freestyle anything could happen in the moment you were always very good at crowd work not a lot of people have that comfort level but again that was about family that last special now this album you're talking about relationships I don't know do you feel do you feel like you're kind of I don't want to say maturing, because obviously every comic, your material changes over time, depending on what's happening in your life and just where you are at in life. Do you kind of feel more settled in a way? I mean, you're one of those comics who our friend K. Trevor Wilson put it. 
it's like you're an overnight success that took 20 years to happen, basically. Okay, Trevor said that. Yeah. <laughs> Not about you, about about him. He said it about himself, but I feel it's relatable for you because, you know, again, you've been at this a long time and you came here, you know, you did, you sort of went the traditional route in Canada of like, you work your way up through Toronto comedy scene, you work your way up through Canadian comedy, you sort of become a big fish in a small pond and then you get your visa and you leave. You do the handful of major festivals, you get your paperwork and you go and you made that move to New York and you made that move to L.A., but again, people, I think, look at this stuff and, you know, you constantly have specials and albums coming out and it's like, okay, well, he's made it now. But it's like, you're a working comic and also, again, you've been grinding it out for 20, you know, it's not like this just magically happened. But do you feel like you're kind of, in a way, becoming more self-aware and just kind of settled off stage as a person and that's sort of reflecting in what you're doing right now, material-wise? Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. I started, you know, seeing a therapist maybe four years ago on a steady, on a steady basis. Um, just for, you know, I needed to, I, yeah, personally, I wasn't doing good mentally, I think. And I probably should have done a lot earlier, but whatever, that's, that's nor here or there to just, you know, so I think, yeah, I've been, I mean, that's more important to me now than anything is more my mental health over like, um, comedy or acting or anything like that. I think taking care of that for me personally, you know, it's helped a lot and it helps. Yeah. And then it comes out in the material because it's like, you know, I want to grow as a person, but I also want my material to reflect where I'm at. So it is kind of like going hand in hand. And I feel like, I mean, at this point too, because again, obviously, you know, you're doing these albums and you're doing these specials that are sort of, because in comedy and obviously this never stops in comedy, it's always going to be about the grind. It's always going to be about the next gig and just, you know, paying your bills off of what's kind of a tough lifestyle gig to begin with. But I feel like now, at least at a point, like you're doing these projects that are really just what the material that you want to say and what you personally want to put out there. Do you feel like at this point you can you can have that comfort a little bit to be more selective about what you do? I mean, obviously, you want to play the festivals. You got to tour. You got to do clubs. You got to keep releasing specials. You're a comic. You got to work. But do you feel like it's less about just sort of that never ending hustle and grind? And now you can sort of be more selective about like, I want to do this club. I want to do this festival. I don't need to necessarily take every single thing that floats along and comes my way. No, it's a lot lesser of that now. Yeah. I don't really have to take everything, you know, I mean, thank God and blessed for that. But yeah, I do want to be a little bit more selective in general, even if, uh, you know, and I'm grateful to do all the festivals in, in Canada and continue to do them. Like, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't look at myself. I don't think I'm past any of it. You know what I mean? If I could go back to like, Halifax, Winnipeg, the Moncton one is hubcap so great. I would, you know what I mean? I'm not like, yeah. you know, I, I do love doing them, you know, no matter, even if I don't live in Canada anymore, I'll always, you know, and just for labs gave me so many, so many opportunities uh, since 2011 that, yeah, I'm, I'm always keen on doing them. You know what I mean? But I, yeah. And I also love those cities uh, and love being there, but yeah, I, I trying to, you know, it's more of a, um, strategy, I guess, on what I'm going to do, what I'm going to put out more. So as you, I think as you grow and as the more you get into it, I feel, I think that's a smarter way is to have strategy. And is half of it too, for you at this point, like again, coming back and doing those Canadian festivals, I mean, it's always a good gig. It's a good little paycheck and all that stuff. I think is half of it about for you at this point, basically coming home and just doing going on stage with your friends and just catching up with other comics and being in the green room around the people you came up with because i mean half of the even yeah. when you come home to toronto and visit family it's like 
probably half the stages you hit while you're here, whether you have something you want to workshop or not, it must be halfway about just like going out and just going to your old stomping grounds with your buddies in comedy. Yeah, hundred percent. But also too, I, you know, I, I, I do want to, I just think, you know, cultivating and staying on the Canadian, I owe Canada is what brought me to the States. And so I, you know, I'm always, I hope and I wish to come back and do a TV show or I always come back and do it, especially because it's like my home. It is the place that, you know, helped birth my style, helped develop. And, you know, I don't look, I do, it is part two that I come back and get to see my friends and old stomping grounds because it's just like, but I also love Toronto as a city and the comedy community. But I mean, I always want to make art, make, you know, art there or just create there. Cause I think it should be, you know, cultivated and we continuously putting into it because it, I want it to be a level of like, you don't have to leave. I think everybody wants it to that, to that level because I didn't want to leave Canada. Who wants to leave home? Well, and I mean, it's kind of funny because you, you know, and again, this is all just sort of changing a little bit now, I guess in the last two years kind of influences, but you, you, again, you, you went the route that was always the way in Canadian comedy, which is you sort of rise up through the scene, you do the festivals, you get those handful of credits and it's a small industry here. We all know that. And then, you know, you get your paperwork and you go stateside now, especially after the pandemic, it feels like it's sort I mean, obviously it's always going to be a limited pool here, but it feels like geography somehow became less important now. It's not necessarily as desperate of a situation to get like, I got to get signed by this club. I got to do this festival. Then I got to leave. feels like people are more willing to just stick it out where they are. And because we're living in a half online world now, location kind of doesn't matter as much. I mean, you still want New York and LA are still the heartbeat, but it kind of feels like it's more possible to just be at home now. Yeah. And I think with social media, I mean, just TikTok and Instagram, it's helping a lot of people that, you know, really just not have to locate relocate to these places so and i and i and i commend that and i think that's dope and i think that should continue you know if you can stay in in your home you know in in the place you love and do what you do man i'll salute salute man so i'm glad it's changing and evolving well one thing i want to pick your brain on because we asked the panel about this last week and we were talking to kenny robinson about this was uh the the chris rock special now of course everybody was there was a lot of people tuning into that because they wanted to, even though it's a year later now, they still wanted to hear what he was going to say about, you know, the slap heard around the world and all that stuff. But industry wise, I mean, cause yeah, you've dropped a Netflix special. And I mean, that platform really changed the game for a lot of comics to the point where now, especially after the pandemic, everybody was sitting at home streaming specials, but the first ever live streaming special is interesting. Do you think they're going to go in that direction more? Cause in a way it kind of feels I don't know. I mean, obviously it had a big viewership, but again, how much of that was just people going, I want to hear what he's going to say about that incident that happened. Cause it kind of feels to me, I don't know. It feels almost counterintuitive in a way because to live stream a special on a platform like Netflix, I feel like in a way we don't have the attention span for that anymore. Cause everything now is just all about, I want to listen or watch to what I want to, when I want to, and I'm going to do it in chunks and I want to play it when I want to. To go back to a live streaming format like that seems like a, a weird move. But again, the whole thing exploded. But how much of that was just because, A, it was Chris Rock, and B, people wanted to hear about the controversial thing? I mean, a lot. I mean, it's probably a bunch of variables that those two probably are big portions of it. But also, it probably was, too, to see, you know, it's such a cool, it's like a, it was different, the aspect of it being live. I think people 
also might have tuned in and be like, oh, this is different. This is how it used to be <laughs> like in our well, yeah, time. You, you needed you know, an you... audience for it to be a live stream because you needed yeah. a reaction yeah. from a live audience. My question is, what's stopping? And if they're smart, they should. I'm available for consultation. Hit me up. But Yuck Yucks or Absolute Comedy doing a Saturday night live stream from their shows. You don't want to leave your house to watch comedy? Pay $29.95 on a website, whatever, and catch a live stream from our comedy show on a Saturday night. Would you be up for that, Dave? Uh, yeah, no, man. I hope just, you know, the cool thing about stand-up is live. You know, is that like connection or is that that thing you that that night you have with a crowd that's like there? Yeah. You got to be in the room, not on the Wi-Fi. Yeah. And I think I think it should. I think there should be a balance. Uh, you know, I don't I wouldn't want it to just completely be live stream. Then what's the point of you coming to watch anyone? You just but what you if you got to cut from that live stream? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I would always, obviously, money is great, but I mean, in, right. in a sense of like, you know, I'm just saying, I hope there's a balance. Of where, course, of course. Well, I mean, it's kind of funny, because I don't know if you remember, if you remember this, this was 10 years ago now, though, but they they did do that a okay. decade ago in Toronto, there was this stream fest thing, and they did it at yes. Comedy Bar, you remember, and they streamed the whole thing. And it kind of was so so because that was kind of early on for that kind of stuff. But it's yeah. like you said, like, there's nothing you know, even all these weird formats that people had to do during the pandemic and all these sort of online shows and all that, it was just to stay afloat. It was just to keep an yeah. audience and keep working. But it really was a placebo. I mean, nothing replaces being there in the club watching that live set because there's always that feeling of everything is organic. It's right here and now and anything can happen. I mean, it's a weird time too. I remember, I mean, just last night where I was doing a set in LA and then this person uh, walked in and started recording the person on stage and then left. What? Yeah. <laughs> it was just so weird. And it's just like, that's the times we're in. I don't know. I was like, that was weird. Like, what is the purpose of you're going to, so you can watch it late. I don't know. It was like weird. And it's like, I don't, I only seeing more. I would only, I'm, you're probably going to just see even more weirder things like that. Um, it, it, it's kind of funny. Sarah Silverman was talking about that exact thing and she had a great point. She's like the, you know, the whole, because of that stuff, because everything can go on social media right away and everything can be filmed. It sort of changed the way that comedy was intended to work because the era of you're at the club that night and you're honing this new 20 minutes and it's only for that crowd in that moment. And the next night it's going to be a little bit different and a little bit different and nobody, it's not shareable. You're just honing it and polishing it in front of that crowd. And it's in the moment that kind of doesn't exist anymore because the second you do something, it's just out there forever. And there's no sort of, you know, nurturing something and making it private until it's ready to go out there. Yeah. It's just all right now and it's filmed and it's online and it just exists forever. So it changed the game in a lot of ways. Big time. So I don't know. I hope it, I hope, I hope there's a balance. We hope so, too. All right, Dave, before we let you go, we could do this all day. Uh, but again, for our listeners, of course, where can people check out that special from last year? I love you, Habibi. And of course, this new EP, Miseducation of an F-Boy. And then also, where can uh, we find you online, catch you live, upcoming dates, all that good stuff? I love you, Habibi's on Crave. It's streaming on Crave. Um, also, the Miseducation uh, of a title we can't say is the live the actual special is on YouTube, but you can it also audio is on all streaming platforms, Apple, Spotify. Um, good friend Bad Grammar actually was just made. Also, you can watch that on YouTube finally without yeah. like, downloading it. 
And um, I'll be at in Toronto, April 15th, the comedy bar, 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. Danforth, uh, not the Danforth location, the Bloor location. I'll be in Ottawa at the Laugh Lounge the following week. And then the following week um, in April, I'll be at the Comedy Nest and then Halifax Yuck Yucks the weekend after. So the first weekend of May. So, but it's all like Dave Merhej uh, on Instagram um, and then DaveMerhej.com, uh, my website. There we go. Dave Merhej, thank you so much. And again, man, I love every time we talk to you, it's like a new project, a new album, a new special, but it's all completely coming from a different, more personal place. I love seeing this stuff. To our listeners, follow Dave Merhej on all the platforms. Don't forget to go check out I Love You Habibi and check out this new EP, Miseducation of a, we could say feck boy, but then people think it's Irish. Anyways, we're going to come back with more of our panel. We got some Second City folks coming up right here. Stay tuned on Inside Jokes. What's up, everybody? This is Coco Galore, and you're listening to Inside Jokes. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh. I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies. And Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on 640 Toronto and, of course, streaming all over the entire multiverse on Global News Online. This week's episode is brought to you by... Not a soul. 7.5 seasons and we are now sponsor free. We are open for business just like the U.S.-Canada border post-pandemic. And believe me, we are not picky. Do you have a variety store in Toronto? A food truck? A hot dog stand? Come at us. Spring has sprung. The pandemic is over and we are open for business. Thank you again to our good friend Dave Mahesh. Don't forget to check out his latest special, I Love You Habibi, which is now on Crave. And of course... His most recent album, Miseducation of an F-Boy, because I can't say that word on the air. You can check out that album now. But now we're switching gears. We're coming back to Toronto. We have two alums of Second City's famous touring company, both with new projects and very interesting mixed format shows uh, coming up here in Toronto. We have Tom Hearn on the air with us. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to be here. I really, yeah, I'm really excited to hear about these shows coming up at Comedy Bar. And of course, because I feel like sketch and improv people are always the most adventurous and inventive and bold when it comes to mixing formats. Because in stand-up, it's always just like, I only do, I do this thing, and this is the only thing, and it's the only pure form of comedy, and that's it. But sketch and improv people, especially coming up in Second City, it's always like, no, let's do a little bit of music. Let's do a little bit of let's do this uh and of course we have coco galore on the air with us as well how are you doing coco yo what's up i'm good you know my skin is glowing it's, it's good <laughs> you both look excellent for radio even though you came you came prepared even though we're on the radio for sure yeah absolutely uh, coco, I feel like- of course you were part of this the untitled black sketch project which a lot of our friends of the show are were a part of that as well uh some some big names there and of course second city alums on there 
that's really why we wanted to talk to both of you on the panel today, because again, you're both doing these projects that I think are very adventurous in sort of mixing formats and mixing media. I mean, Tom, you have these drag shows coming up at Comedy Bar, which I really wanted to pick your brain on. Yeah. What kind of a marriage that is between those worlds of drag and comedy. Uh, mm -hmm. But also just the fact that both of all of these projects that you're doing right now, I mean, obviously, aside from being touring members of Second City and both alums over the years of Second City, a lot of the shows that we're seeing now and a lot of the formats that we're seeing now and a lot of the comics we're seeing on specials and festival galas and network tapings, it really does feel like a new era in Canadian comedy where a lot of the comics and a lot of the talent and a lot of the names we're seeing blowing up now are really more reflective, finally, of what Canada actually looks like. And by that, I mean Canadian comedy. I mean, nothing against it, but Canadian comedy for a long time was kind of like white guy sport coat and it was kind of the same names always on you know headlining shows and on the festivals and on the specials we would grow up watching on ctv i feel like so much of what's happening on stage and on the air in canadian comedy right now is really just reflective of a new generation and what canada actually looks like i i have to agree i think we're pushing the envelope of what comedy is with these mixed format shows and finally seeing our country and specifically Toronto, I can speak to Toronto, seeing Toronto reflected on our stage. And that comes from, and Coco can speak to this as well, that comes from years and years and years of work that has gone into creating the space for me to be able to mix drag and to mix improv and sketch. That didn't happen overnight. This has been a seven, eight year long project, which yeah. Coco can easily attest to because she's yeah, been part of that entire journey. We've been doing it together as well like we've we've also worked on some formats to try to like really bring different perspectives on stages back when you know we still had um the bad dog theater at 875 bloor so we used to do uh, that together space. me and tom um yeah. tom and i sorry let me be grammatically correct here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's and it's been years and i feel like the the pandemic kind of opened a door a different door because everything was online and yeah. so we really got to like expand that way and people saw us like some sometimes people still bring up shows that they saw like uh tom and i do on bad dog comedy tv and they're like hey yeah. i remember seeing you during the pandemic um doing that because you know we were all stuck in our house and we had to find something to do and so reinventing the wheel was kind of fun did we do that well, yeah. did we reinvent the wheel you reinvented the wheel for sure I think, I, I mean, I think there so. is sort of that that feeling in canadian comedy right now too it's sort of that whole you know if you build it they will come thing because there was so much audience out there because we always complain about how in Canada we have a limited audience. Yeah, that's always going to be mm -hmm. true. But there was so much audience out there for live shows, for specials, for festivals that they didn't see comedy that reflected their experience in Canada or what, you know, exactly. comics that they could relate to. So it's like now you have this audience seeing there are queer comics, there are comics of color, which there always were, but there was always that sort of tokenized thing in Canadian comedy, right? It's like you'd be doing, you'd be on a bill and it'd be like, okay, this is our one queer comic this is our one performer yeah. of color but now it's like we're finally people are finally realizing like no you're you're just a comedian and the whole point of comedy is to make your experience relatable to a wide audience no matter what and i think we're yep. seeing a lot of audience coming up going like finally i see something that actually i can relate to where was this before well, it's interesting that you said that in canada sometimes we say like our audience is so limited it's so limited and it goes back to that original point that you said is like yeah, it's so limited because every single comedy show was a man with a scotch holding a microphone, smoking a cigarette and a blazer. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's only so many people who want to see that. Like that's the, the you have to diversify the content that you're putting on stage to diversify the audience that's coming to your show. 
Yeah. And I also think that there's the idea that people think just because two people are from the same background, that it means their perspective is going to be the exact same. Right. It's not true. And I think that's what's cool about doing like queer focus shows and, you know, uh, people of color focus shows, because then you get to see like me and Ajanis, who's also black and we're also non-binary. It's like we have different perspectives. And that's also really been fun to kind of put out there. Yeah, not one queer person, not one black person speaking for an entire community. Instead, it's like, I mean, oh, wait, I, can. Be, you, I mean, we can. And I'll take that space. Absolutely. But it's it's better, I think, to have, you know, going away from that token tokenism that we've dealt with for years and years of being like, this is our person who speaks to the queer experience. This is our person who speaks to the experience of wearing red shirts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. We're going to come back with more Tom and Coco. Lots to get into. We'll be back with more inside jokes right here on 640 Toronto. What's up, everybody? It's Tom Hearn, and you are listening to Inside Jokes. How fabulous is that? back to Inside Jokes right here on 640 Toronto. Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by literally no one at all. We are... We, it's like it's like you just got out of a relationship. We're single and looking to mingle on Inside Jokes. Come at us. Again, there is no sponsor too small. Anyways, thank you again to our friend earlier in the show, Dave Merhez. Check out that new special. Check out that new album. But now, pivoting back over to Toronto, we have Tom Hearn and Coco Galore on the air with us. Both alums of Second City's famous national touring company both with some very interesting live shows coming up and just again mixing experiences mixing formats one thing i wanted to pick both of your brains on actually because you know obviously you know coming coming up through the second city that's always it's a comedy brand it is an institution i mean it still has that weight to it where you become a member of that touring company i'm sure that's still that's still a career making moment for up for a canadian comic you know i mean being part of that being part of that culture of second city and part of that identity is a huge thing for comics but it does feel like the industry especially here in canada has really kind of changed more in favor of the artist and the last couple of years is bad obviously the pandemic was horrible because it put everything on pause and comics had to be really inventive with like I have to work with an online audience. I have to figure out ways to keep performing and, and just sort of work within these parameters. One thing that did come out of that though, was it really feels in, in Canada, like performers are now more in charge of their own destinies in a way, because we figured out how to work within an online world, build our own audience. You see people doing their own tours, releasing their own albums. Everything at the Juno's the last couple of years was completely independent comedy record labels. There's festivals people are starting. So those old channels in Canadian comedy where it was either you're part of Second City or you get signed by one of two chain clubs 
and you do the three big festivals and that was kind of it. Those things are all still very there and very important, but doesn't it feel like comics are really more in charge of their own path now and going, I, I don't have to get signed by this booker. I can just build things myself. And it seems like the industry's paying attention. Like when you see a lot of the comics that are on festivals and on network shows and on new sketch shows and sitcoms, it's a lot of comics that just sort of figure this stuff out themselves. I think it's funny that you mentioned that with Coco and I sitting here because yeah. that is truly what we have. Like, yes, we are, are at Second City and we've come up through that process. And, you know, I've been there for six years and I've worked the whole gambit of what you can at that company. But I have also been a self-producer. I have produced my own tours. I have produced the, a plethora festivals. of things and create festivals and oh. created my own space when I needed to. And Coco has done the exact same thing. And now I'm seeing pe other people starting to catch that wave a little bit. And it's very exciting because I love watching artists and comedians like taking the reins and taking control of their own career instead of sitting back and being like, well, now I need to, I need to wait for my time. I need to wait. I need to wait. Your time is now. And your time is whenever you want it to be, you just need to put the effort in. And now I'm really seeing people take that next step to push their career versus just waiting for something to happen. So I just think it's funny that you bring that up with Coco and I sitting here. Cause that's what we've always done. Yeah. And now I feel like other people are catching up. And we did it very specifically because we didn't want to wait and we weren't being included in certain spaces, you know what I mean? Because um, whatever reasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. We, were like, we were like, we're going to create our own, our own stages, our own spaces. What's to stop us from like renting out a space and producing a show? And literally that's why we did it. Cause we wanted to be on stage and we weren't being included. So we did our own and we included other people. That's the thing. And I mean, a lot of people, it took so long for comics to figure that out. It's like, I can, I can hit, you know, amateur night every Tuesday at XYZ comedy club and just wait a million years for that one booker to sign me. Or how about I start a podcast? How about I go book a bunch of cities and go out on tour? How about I do release my own album without somebody saying you have to do 10 years on the road before you're even allowed to release an album. And it really changed the flavor of, Canadian comedy now because we're seeing even here in Toronto it's such a great microcosm of this because yes this has always been you know our hub outside of mm -hmm. Montreal during JFL time but even you look at the landscape here in Toronto it's so much different now it's all these independent comedy clubs you have comedy bar which 10 years ago was just this weird little basement space for people to do experimental things yeah it's a full-blown destination in Canadian comedy there's two of them in Toronto I mean so the landscape and who you're seeing on stage and who you're seeing headlining festivals is representative of really just comics that just went i'm just going to do stuff nobody nobody can tell me when or why and audiences seem to be responding well and i think we have a big thanks to to give to comedy bar and to yeah, give to gary the bad dogs because gary has made it easy for comedians to be able to gary and james both sorry have made it easy for comedians to do exactly what we're talking about because it is an independent comedy club that anybody can rent anybody can put on a show and quite frankly, you can do a show at Comedy Bar and make the same amount of money that you would make doing six shows elsewhere. So if you put that time in you and you produce on your own. So it's like, these are the things that I think people are starting to wake up to now. And it, it, yeah, it, it really did embolden, because obviously producing and promoting is a whole other animal entirely. But it really did embolden a lot of comics to just go, I, okay, I'm going to find out who my audience is and, and build their own audience. By the way, we could talk about this stuff all day on the panel, but before we wrap it up, because it always goes by way too fast, speaking of comedy bars, so Tom, where can we catch these upcoming shows, get tickets, 
what you have coming up at Comedy Bar, all that good stuff. Well, I have two really dope shows coming up to Comedy Bar, actually. Uh, one on April 8th, which is called Lip Synced, uh, which is an improv drag show. We combine improv and drag. Uh, improvisers do scenes and they have to lip sync for their life. And we have amazing drag performers on the show. We have Boa from season one of Canada's Drag Race uh, on this time. And then April 15th, you can catch Work the Mic also at Comedy Bar, which is an all drag queen, all comedy, two act sketch show, uh, sketch, improv, stand up, all that stuff and lip syncing if we have to. <laughs> there we go. Check out those shows coming up at Comedy Bar. Hit up comedybar.ca. And of course, Coco, where can we find you online? Catch you live, follow you on the socials, all of that good stuff. Ooh, follow me everywhere at Coco Galore, uh, C-O-K-O-G-A-L-O-R-E, Galore like pussy galore. And, um, <laughs> oh, Coco can... just got us canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it's a James Bond case. It's a James Bond movie uh, character. Um, but also you can find me at Second City. I'm at Second City doing the uh, touring company show. It's called Swipes Right up until May. And then in May, we switch over to a show called 50 Years of Funny, which is based on Toronto archive shows. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I love it. There we go. Thank you so much. That is our panel, Tom, Coco, and of course, our good friend, Dave Merhege. That is our show. Don't forget, you can listen to all of our episodes every Saturday night right here on 640 and streaming right back to the dawn of time on Global News Online. That is our panel. We'll be back next week. Hi, this is Alicia Carusi, and you're listening to my aunt, Sandra Carusi's Comedy Rx. Today, we're listening to Dave Merhege. Like, I know I'm like 41 now, but 40, I woke up with one knee hurting. I go, it's over. <laughs> Do when you wake up with like one, I don't know how, you're young. When one knee, you're like, <laughs> I was like, man, I got to start wearing New Balance. That's what I said. <laughs> Legit, my knee hurt, and I said New Balance. That was the, I went on the internet, and I got 10 pairs. I go, it's time <laughs> to get, I can't even walk any, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you walk and you're like, I gotta take breaks walking? That's sad. And you one time I jumped on a bus. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you also know you're old when the bus driver lets you stay up with them and talk the whole time. That's an old man shit. Just you and the bus driver, he goes, hey, you getting off here? Stay on. And you're high-fiving them. You do the whole route with them. You're like, this is great, dude. So I'm at this concert and I'm like, yo, I feel, I feel old because I, everyone is like 19. Even the lighting when I went was hard for my eyes. 